Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping, and the vision that was planted in my brain still remains. We're getting really sad here, people. Well, where do we start? Welcome to the Bubble Let Sports Podcast, episode 74 The Cowboys. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Technically, this is also the review for the Jets game, but that's pretty much how you can describe that game. Most of it's the bad and the ugly. Oh, people, where where did we go? I, I said here, I said on this podcast, what? Over a month and a half ago. Same exact spot, same exact way. I said, this is the best Cowboys team that I've ever seen. They played harder than they ever had. They look phenomenal, more talented than ever. This team looks good for the playoffs, looks good for a Super Bowl. Week one against the Giants. Week two, week three against the Redskins, against the Dolphins. Yes, they did win those games and handedly as well. However... I came on this podcast and said there are some worrying things about this team that will hurt them later on. And this is where it, this is later on. This is where we are right now. Three straight losses. One against the Saints on the road. One at home against the Packers. And last night's game against the Jets. The Jets who came into this game 0-4 with a quarterback that has not played football in a month and a half. And has no real talent other than Le'Veon Bell and Sam Darnold. So, I didn't make a preview for this game. I was busy, but at the same time, in the back of my head, I was saying, Hey, it's a preview for a game that should just be a, a, a bye week at this point. You know, they'll bounce back after the Packers game. They played very well. In my opinion, they played very well in that game. They did not execute those, those drives at the end. I did think... That that offense looked great. They could have been better to finish off those drives, but to have that many points, that ha- the to have that many yards, you know, you you just take a lot of positives out of that game and say, hey, they're against a great opponent in the Packers. They'll bounce back against an easy team against the Jets and set themselves up for a great matchup against the Eagles. Well, throw that out the fucking window, cause I said. And I've been saying it all year long. The Cowboys struggle at the very beginning of the game. That they always come out flat. They always come out slow. And I expected much of the same in this game. They're going on the road, which they don't like. They're going to New York, so it's a long travel day. Long travel week. And it takes them a little bit to get going. Well, it took them a lot to get going. I'm not even going to speak about this whole game itself and like break it down by core like I usually do. What I'm going to do is focus on the first Cowboys drive because that, maybe just the, the first quarter alone, that was the Cowboys team that you are going to get for the rest of the year. I don't care if they almost made the comeback, which they should have. 
They they came back, scored some points. They should have scored more points if Brett Maher didn't miss kicks. If if the offense just found the end zone a couple more times, better play calling. And then if they got that onside kick, hell, I think they would have won that game. They would have gone to overtime and they would have won that game. Well, no, if they got the onside kick, they would have scored a field goal and they would have won. Who cares? Who cares? They they shouldn't have gone to that point. It is my point exactly. The first quarter said it all. So on the first drive for the Cowboys, after pressuring Sam Darnold and that Jets offense to force a punt, you know, it was good. That's a good start. So now the offense comes out, who was red hot last week. They just couldn't execute at the end. But they had over 400 yards total offense, which is some of the best in the NFL, if not the best in the NFL. So you're saying, ah, as long as they run the ball, you do a lot of the same plays you did last week, man, they're in good hands. Where the fuck did that go? Because, yes, first play, design run to Zeke up the middle. Their formation was two wide receivers, one tight end. You're giving the defense an automatic signal of they're going to run this ball. And guess what? They're going to run it down the middle because they have no edge blocking with Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins still out. So you have Brandon Knight on the right side. You have Cameron Fleming, who obviously is not doing a good enough job of blocking. And we'll get more into that. So... It's an obvious play call to say they're going to run it down the middle other than a play action, which you're more successful at than any other team in the NFL. And it worked last week against the Packers. So why didn't you do it on this first play? Why did you just do a design run, which is obvious that you're going to run it up the middle? So obviously Zeke's only going to gain two or three yards, which he did. Second play, Amari Cooper. A pass to him on the left side. He did an out route for three yards. There's a, a lot of rushing, a lot of blitzing going on. So Dak to get rid of this ball quickly was the right decision. So it's third and five, third and four. It's a shotgun formation with an obvious defense showing blitz. I mean, they're bringing the whole house. It's like eight guys in the box. Dak's got to make a decision very quickly to get rid of this ball. What does Dak do? Dak takes so long to develop this play and allow his receivers to get open that that rushing just automatically comes to him. He has no time to throw. So he throws it to the right-hand side. And without Randall Cobb, that only leaves Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. So obviously you want to go to Amari Cooper on a third down. He's very successful at that. So Amari Cooper gets one-on-one coverage and it does a very good job of it by the Jets defense. And it's a bad throw by Dak that's just rushed and he just floats it up. There's no way that they can make a play with that. So it's incomplete. And that that's it. Third, three and out in your first drive. And very basic plays. There was no, you know, I like to say Bubba Bunch formation with the three wide receivers. Yes, it's limited now because you don't have Cobb. And later on in this game, you wouldn't have Amari Cooper because of his quad injury that got re-aggravated. Yet... You brought up Cedric Wilson. You brought up Devin Smith for this game. Why can't you just plug those guys in? Because you love plugging in other guys. You just love not adjusting your plays and adjusting your formations. You just plug in different players and expect the same result. That is not what... That is not common. Like, that is not a logical decision. So, yes, I will talk about the coaching staff and their horrible decision-making. And this is a great reason why is this first Cowboys drive is 
the way that you, I, I guess you want to say, find success early on in the game is those first 15 plays, that first drive. Every great coach sets that up because you have a whole week to decide what are we going to do on the first drive to really get us going, to get the motivation up, to get our guys into rhythm. How are we going to do that? Every single week, it is the Cowboys, Jason Garrett, and Kellen Moore, and I don't think Kellen Moore should be a part of this because it's really the influence on Jason Garrett. Garrett and automatically says, we are going to establish the run. And rightfully so. I mean, you can say that more than 75% of the teams in the NFL want to establish a run early. It's a, it's a very normal thing to do. So yes, you can run a design play to Zeke up the middle and gain a couple. Yeah, it's typical. I, I wish you would gain more if you're Zeke, but you, you just, you get what you get. It's those other two plays. It's the Amari Cooper pass on second down, which is okay. So it sets you up for a third and short. You know, just, just get some small rhythm going. It's that third down play that, to me, is so bland. It is so nonchalant. And, and this is a, a combination of decision-making by Jason Garrett and Kellen Moore and Dak. Not only is it your responsibility to know that they are going to rush us on third down because we're very bad at stopping the blitz on third down, especially with two of our best offensive linemen out. However, you should also take in consideration that it, you're going to get one-on-one -on -one with Amari Cooper. You're also going to get one-on-one -on, -one on mainly every single receiver. So why don't you go to your go-tos? Jason Wynn, Blake Jarwin. Michael Gallup, because he's going to have the one-on-one -on -one -on -one matchup with a second-tier, third-tier corner who Michael Gallup can beat easily. And in so many weeks past, you loved doing the slant route up the middle. You know, it with uh, Gallup, with Amari Cooper. Yet on this play, you just throw it up on a fade route to Amari Cooper or a curl route, whatever the hell he was running. And you took so long to develop that play. You should know that immediately they're going to establish the blitz because you guys are banged up on the offensive line. That you guys don't do well when you get blitzed more often than not. So for Dak to take that long to throw the ball and for Jason Garrett to say, let's wait, you got to let this play develop and then we'll find our open receiver. It never happened. So in, a, in three plays, in three plays, your whole scheme or whole game plan from the whole week that you prepared is thrown out the window. Jason Garrett, that is awful play calling. That is awful coaching. So then Sam Darnold gets back on the field. And this is where I tuned out as a Cowboys fan. When Sam Darnold and Le'Veon Bell established a run and they just drove down the field, much like how the Cowboys do when they're finding success, they take time for possession. They take time off the clock. The Jets had this ball with 11.30, 11.45 to go in the first quarter. When they scored their touchdown to go up 7-0 in this game, there was about four minutes left on the clock in the first quarter. Seven minutes, seven, eight minutes of that game, game clock is taken away from your already off-balanced offense that it only puts them off rhythm even more. So execution by, the, by Sam Darnold in this offense 
was phenomenal. I mean, this was great offense at work to establish the run and only take away time for Dak and Zeke to get back into this game and tire out that defense, which if you've seen any other game that the Cowboys have lost in the past five years, if you tired down that that defense, you were going to win this game. They are not going to stop you when they're tired, when they're just their body language is showing them that they, they can't play anymore. They can't tackle. They're missing tackles. They're missing assignments. They're miscommunicating. That's what the Jets took advantage of. I criticized Adam Gase all week long. I said on winners and losers, I don't think he's a good enough head coach. He proved me wrong on this. Now, I don't think that the Jets should be glorified to be one of the best teams in the NFL now just because they beat the, the Cowboys. This is more of a statement on the Cowboys played so bad. This was worse than the Saints game. The Saints game, they couldn't get anything going on offense. And they got tired on defense. And in the Packers game, I said they found a lot of offense. They had some stops on defense. They, they just put themselves in a big enough hole. But the Saints game, the biggest thing that you took out of it was they shot themselves in the foot so many times. That is exactly what happened in this game, but only magnified by 100. Because once the Jets get back on the field, the penalties started to come. In the first quarter alone, I, I, a minimum of five penalties went on the Cowboys. And stupid penalties too. Encroachment by Antoine Woods. A horse collar by Antoine Woods. Or by, by Malik Collins, I should say. A pass interference by Chidobi Wujia or one of the other corners. And then you have holding calls on offense. You have illegal blocks in the back. They're just so undisciplined. These are stupid penalties that are just so easy to get rid of if you're a, a team, yet they, they go unnoticed because your coaching staff isn't urgent or motivating you enough to, to lock it in, to focus up on your assignment, on your game plan. So they, they go up 7-0, the Jets do, and the offense comes back out for the Cowboys. Now, the only play that stood out to me in this drive and in this quarter, because then we'll move on to the good, bag and, bad, and the ugly. The last play of the quarter, third and four. The Cowboys are slowly going up the field. They haven't made it to midfield yet, but they're moving the ball a little bit. The last play of the quarter, they rush to the line to get one last play in. This is not a no huddle. This is not a hey guys, let's get it going. We're gonna we're gonna run a no huddle offense. We're just gonna go. We're gonna move down the field. No, this was just hey the time's running out of the clock, so let's let's get up to the line. Let's run one more play on a third and four. In the first quarter, this is not before the half. This is not before the end of the game. This is before the end of the first quarter. First of all, why are you rushing to the line if you have the ball on a third and short? You don't have to rush unless unless you're going to force a a hard count to maybe get the defense offsides. Packers do it. Great teams around the NFL do it. It's a very easy thing to do. And if you execute it well, that's an easy first down to end the quarter. Perfect. What the Cowboys do is they actually hike the ball and run a play. And when they run that play, they fail to convert on a dropped pass by Michael Gallup that would have gotten them the first down. And now, fourth and short, going into the second quarter, and you give the ball back to the Jets, even though you did not have to do that at all. You could have just seen the defensive scheme and said, all right, 
do a hard count. If they don't go off sides, then we'll just run a play in the second quarter. Why did you rush that? Why did you have to rush that play? That's what makes no sense to me. JC Garrett should have looked at the clock and said, hey, we don't. it's four seconds left and we're not even lined up yet. So why should we rush this? Just, just run down the clock, do a hard count, let's move on. Horrible play call. The rest of the game, go watch it yourself. It's not fun to watch. The Jets went up 21 to what? 3? 21 to 6 in the first half? And then the Cowboys made the comeback. Oh, haven't we heard that one before? It was literally last week that they said they dug themselves in a hole and then they had to dig themselves out. It was too late for them to do it. And, and that was it. So let's, let's just look at a retrospect of the whole Cowboys team right now. That is three and three. Three easy wins that no one really cares about at this point. It's the last three against two teams that are competitors in the NFC, the Saints and the Packers, who I saw a lot of progress in the Packers game. And you just lost because you went down too early. I did think that they take a lot out of that game that really helped them later on. And then you lose to an awful, awful Jets team that is 0-4, has not won a game, had two offensive touchdowns all year long, and they scored even more than that in this game. So, I, I, I'm not even going to say that the Jets won this game. Even though they, they were the better team, I still think that the Cowboys really shot themselves in the foot here. The Jets are going to be a bad football team throughout. I am not a big fan of Sam Darnold. I think he should have stayed in college for at least one more year, if not more. He went for the money. He went for the franchise quarterback. Good for him. You know, he he's a star in New York. What I've seen out of him so far when he's been in the league has not been impressive to me. I, I just honestly don't think so. I'm a big Baker Mayfield fan, and that's probably not saying a lot right now. Yeah, I still think that in the long term, I'd rather have Baker than I would Sam. That's just my argument. Don't at me. That I just like the swagger. I like I like the abilities of Baker Mayfield rather than I do Sam Darnold, who's still a young kid. I don't think he's good enough leaders so far. He's a great quarterback, you know, physically. I don't think he's a franchise guy, though. Let, let's go back to the Cowboys, though. So... First of all, I want to focus on the good. The good that I got out of this game, yes, there was still some. One of them was Dak Prescott. I want you to be a listener right now. If you're listening and you say to yourself, Dak Prescott is the reason why this team is bad. I want you to turn off this podcast and like live under a rock. You don't deserve to, to be a football fan, an NFL fan, even a Cowboys hater at this point. You are not watching the game if you think that Dak Prescott is the reason why this team is losing football games. Yes, he makes some bad decisions, but what quarterback doesn't? Dak Prescott is under a microscope, and he is magnified for every little thing that he does on and off the field. The Cowboys alone are magnified for whatever they do, especially Dak Prescott. If Dak Prescott makes a good throw... The haters are going to be like, oh, well, you're supposed to do that. Well, yeah, rightfully so. Yes, as a good quarterback, you should make those throws. And I've said it time and time before. Dak Prescott is a better passer this year. He's made a lot of strides in his mechanics, in his decision-making. 
he's he's playing the best football even to to a three and three record. Dak Prescott is playing the best football that he's ever played. And in this game, it only embodies that. However, when when you're magnified, when when your decisions and your your plays are magnified to a hundred, like that's Dak Prescott's are. Every bad throw, every little mistake, every decision that isn't the right call that Dak makes, it is magnified. It is stressed by those haters. It is stressed by those people that want to see Dak go away. You are abysmal. You are not a Cowboys. You are not a fan of the NFL. If we look at any quarterback around the league, whether it's Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, whether it's new guys like Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, it does not matter. If you want to go and watch every single play of those games, I personally don't. I have my personal opinions about those players. However, I don't go and watch every single play and say, that was that could have been a better throw. That could have been a, a better decision. Yeah, that, that was the bad call. You know, you know that interception, that's on him. That That is all, an awful way of looking at a quarterback. Look at the good. Always look at the good. Because if it overshadows and it overpowers the bad, then you got yourself a quarterback. Yes, Dak makes some bad mistakes. Like I said, in that third and four, third and five, in the first Cowboys drive, where he took so long to let the play develop, and he just put himself in a bad situation. Yes, that's partially Dak's fault. He should know that that blitz is coming, so he's got to get rid of this ball quick. So he's got to make that decision very quickly. If not, he's got to audible. So yes, that's on Dak. It's not all on him. I'm still going to blame Jason Garrett and Kellen Moore for putting him in that spot. Throughout this game, though, what I wrote down was his grit and his toughness is undeniable. Think of how many hits that they replayed on this on this game where Dak got pummeled to the ground and Tony Romo, Jim Nance said, oh, he took a hit there. Consistently. I mean, almost every single play that he threw the ball, he got hit. He almost was out of this game because of a concussion, which he had to get tested for. He came back, though, because he wants to play for this team. He has no edge blocking. You really think Cameron Fleming's going to be a, a good enough option compared to Tyron Smith? No. And these defenses know it. So they're going to rush Cameron Fleming, who has not like improved at all in the past two weeks and is unimpressive to this point. So what is Dak supposed to do? What is he really supposed to do? This reminds me a lot of the Atlanta Falcons game. And I'm going to refer to that a lot in this podcast. The Atlanta Falcons game is the exact same situation we are in right now. What happened? Cowboys couldn't get anything going on offense. Dak had no time to throw. Tyron Smith was out of that game. It was the edge rushing. Adrian, uh, what, what's his name? I, I, for, I forgot his name. I'm, I'm sorry. The Atlanta Falcons, who is only famous for that game. I don't even remember his name. Um, I'm blanking here. Someone help me out if you're saying it out loud. Thank you. But you know what I'm talking about. Is that Chaz Green in that game is what Cameron Fleming is today. 
he did not do his job. He did not do his assignment. He allowed pressure from the edge, from the blind side, so many times. Dak had no time to throw, and he got pummeled for it. He stayed in the game. He took so many hits that he threw up on the sideline. He was banged up. I always think about the all-for-nothing documentary that they did on the Cowboys for that season. And the day after the Falcons game, one of his, I think it was Lyle Collins and Dak Prescott went on a fishing trip and just in the middle of the lake, it's all quiet. Lyle looks at Dak and he's like, you got fucked up yesterday. You got banged up. And Dak just laughs it off. I love that about Dak is that he did not quit in this game. Even when they're down 20, 30 points, when there's nothing going, he still finds a way to give this team some motivation that wasn't there at the beginning. And he finds a way to extend plays to get the ball rolling. And even throughout all those hits, he still made great throws that were dropped. He still made great decisions, even though under that amount of pressure. And in the late game, where you could have just given up so quickly, much like how all of these other players did, Dak was still there. And this has been my argument for Dak all his career. He's not the most talented guy. But he is perfect for this team. He is a an embodiment of what it what it takes to be a Dallas Cowboy. Historic, chivalry, a, a man of honor that respects his position, respects the guys before him, and respects the guys around him. He is a leader of that team. He is a leader in the locker room. And he plays his ass off. Even in the worst situations. The Atlanta Falcon game, this game as well. He, he, he just pushed forward. So if, if not only are you thinking Dak should get be cut or get traded or no longer be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, you're also in the argument that he deserves less money. He doesn't deserve a big contract. I personally think, and this is going to be a hot take for most people, that in these three games, that Dak deserves more money now. He deserves that 40 mil now. I know what you're saying. Relax. Like, what are you trying to say? I'm saying that through all the bullshit that he has to deal with, with the play calling by Jason Garrett and Kellen Moore, with all the hits that he's taking because his line is banged up and no one wants to fix it, and for limiting him to only a certain amount of plays, he has no control over the offense. He has no control of audibles or decision-making for himself. He has to do everything that's given to him. I don't think we've seen... 25 or like we've only seen 25 to 30 percent of what Dak can do i genuinely think that if we allow him to run the playbook if we allow him to make the decisions on the fly and be that tony romo from 2013 2014 where every single play felt like an audible where it was a kill kill or just switch up some of the receiver routes I think Dak Prescott will not only flourish, but just automatically earn himself that contract and earn that money that he rightfully deserves at this point. In a 3-3, three and three, I think that Dak Prescott has been the one consistent in this team that even through the interceptions that are not his fault, the drop balls that are not his fault... I, I say there's maybe two or three balls that are thrown by Dak that are missed, that are his fault. 
Other than that, this guy is a perfect quarterback, a perfect franchise guy that any other team in the NFL would love to have. Put him on the trade block, put him on the market right now, and I guarantee you that almost all the teams, even even though like there's going to be the sum that like you know Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, like all those main quarterbacks that you just don't need to worry about, all the rest of them, I guarantee you, Dak's going to be their number one guy to look at. He's a starting quarterback. He will forever be a starting quarterback. So for you to say that he doesn't deserve more money now, yesterday's game proved that he deserves more than what he gets. I honestly think so. Another guy that has gotten a big contract already and hasn't lived up to that contract, but yesterday I think he did, was Zeke. All season long, I've been critical of Zeke. Not, not because he's not putting up 200 yards per game rushing or finding the end zone three times. I'm saying that in those, you know, in those first down runs up the middle where he only gains two or three, Zeke is kind of limiting himself to say, I, I'm going to be here for five, six years at least, and I want to be fresh for the postseason. So I'm not going to run as hard. I'm not going to push for those extra few yards because I'm going to have a lot more carries in this game and I'll find my way into the end zone. And that's kind of how you see the whole offense. is like, oh, I hope that it works. I hope that we, we get another chance to, to find the end zone. That's how I feel that Zeke has been mentally. And they're saying that he's had the worst start of his, his career um, in, in a season or he's had the worst five stretch or five game stretch of his career yet he's having 100 yard games every single week almost so it's not like he's underperforming in the sense that that he's not good enough anymore i think he's just limiting himself and i i think this this jason garrett kellen moore combination is limiting how they're using zeke they're not making him leap over defenders not making him extend plays by being patient and using his agility although his individual ability has not been the same really since his rookie year, where I think he was just so ready to get into the NFL. There's still so much that he can do. And in this game, in the first half, you didn't see it, but in the second half where they were so urgent to get the ball into the end zone and finally get back into this game, I saw Zeke get that extra yard. I saw Zeke try to push for those extra few yards, get that first down, and make a play. I have not seen that all year long out of him. This was the first time I've seen it all year long, and I love to see it. I want to see more of this out of Zeke. It's reached a point where we're almost halfway done through the season. Yes, you're going to get banged up throughout the, the season, and you want to stay healthy. You want to be healthy for the five, six years that you're here in Dallas. Yet, we need you more than ever, man. I've been asking for it. I've been asking for a, a more physical, more urgent, aggressive Zeke, which I haven't seen. This was the first time I've seen it. And it, yes, it was too late, yet it was nice to see for once. So instead of gaining those two or three yards, let's go back to the way that you get those two or three yards, but then after breaking a tackle, you gain that extra three or four. You put yourself in a better situation. I read a stat before the Packers game, or after the Packers game, really, that Zeke has only broke two and a half tackles. Two tackles, two and a half tackles. Which is atrocious for a guy like him of his size and his skill so that stat alone proves to me that Zeke is not giving me a hundred percent 
he's giving me 75, which is still better than most of your average running backs in the NFL. Yet gaining two or three yards in a bland offense isn't going to get you anywhere. So thank you, Zeke, for finally showing up and being the Zeke of old and saying, I'm going to try to get more for this team. I got, I got to step up myself. I'm doing it for Dak. I'm doing it for this team. I got to do it for myself too. Other guys on that offense too, Tavon Austin, he, he was the best receiver on the field yesterday. He, he stepped up, even though he's not a perfect wide receiver, much like Amari Cooper is, but with your, with Amari Cooper out with the quad injury, with Randall Cobb out with the ankle injury, I believe, or his back as well. Um, and then Michael Gallup just had a terrible game. He dropped so many balls. Jason Wynn dropped balls. So Tavon Austin was the one consistent of that team yesterday and made plays. I love what they do with him in motion where they run like fake jet sweeps or they run the jet sweep itself. Using him as just a receiver though yesterday showed that, oh, this guy has more to offer than just a, a fast guy. I love that they picked him up as a deep threat down the field when they first got him from the Rams, yet they never utilized him to the, the full potential that he has. Tavon Austin proved that, like, I can run a curl route for, like, five, seven yards and get you a first down. It's not hard. And Dak found that relationship very well yesterday. And I didn't even mention this, but Dak Prescott found, like, seven, eight receivers yesterday in that game, even despite the injuries to Randall Cobb and Mark Cooper. You know, Mark Cooper only had one reception. The rest of the guys had all the receptions. So I'll get more into the offense itself. Tavon Austin, though, was the best receiver on the field yesterday. And guys on the defensive side, the, the, we're still in the good. Jordan Lewis, who had the interception, I've said it time and time again, he is the most underused player on this team. I love Jordan Lewis. I follow him on Twitter. I follow him on Instagram. I love what this guy brings to the table. It's, it's never on the field, though. The Cowboys, up to that point, had only one interception throughout the whole year. Jordan Lewis matched that yesterday by being on the field for maybe less than 20 plays Chris Richard chooses to not put him on the field yet I think that Anthony Brown is the worst corner that we have so if you put Jordan Lewis in there I think the secondary improves very much so and lastly for the good Robert Quinn this guy did not play the first two games of the year and yet he is consistently beating the matchup that he has on the left side with his tackle his speed and his timing is only getting better week by week. This man already has five sacks for the season. Imagine if he played those two games at the beginning of the year against a Giants team that has a bad old line, another Redskins team that has a bad old line. Imagine, just imagine what Robert Quinn would have done if in those two games that he wasn't there, that he was. So next up, I want to call out the bad. The bad is not like rock bottom. There's so much worse that, are, that is going on with this team. I'm disappointed in this part of the Cowboys. Starting off with the secondary. Especially Chidobi Wujie, who I'm a big fan of. I love what this guy did in his rookie season and what he's done past that. Yet this year so far, I've seen just deterioration and decline from Chidobi Wujie and from this whole secondary that is led by Chris Richard. You know, I love Chris Richard. I honestly think he should be the next head coach for this team. Yet, what I've seen out of him in his one main priority, and since he's kind of taken over the, the Rod Marinelli 
play calling defensive coach um, assignment. He's kind of lost it with his secondary, so it's not fully on him. I, I honestly think it's just the individual performance out of these guys. But like Chidobi Wujie, he's getting beaten by Preston Williams, who's a mismatch from Miami. He got beaten by Scantling and, and other guys from the Packers wide receiver core consistently last week. And this week, not only did he just give up a lot of penalties, he missed assignments. He gave up the big play in the second quarter. He gave up a huge touchdown pass by Sam Darnold to Robert Anderson up a post route up the middle, which he did have safety help, but he got beaten just by his speed. And Shadobi's a fast guy. So for him to just miss that completely, it's just a lack of judgment, lack of focus that is unlike Chidobi Wujie. So for three weeks in a row, I've been disappointed by Chidobi Wujie. Byron Jones is a top five corner, but has not been playing like it so far. He's doing all right, but he's not making plays. He's he's not creating turnovers. He's not like stuck to glue or stuck like glue to his receivers. And when you look at the other guys around him, you think that Byron Jones has to do a lot of the work because Anthony Brown is a liability. He is the worst corner on this team. Jordan Lewis is a better corner than him. Jeff Heath at the safety position is the worst safety at that position. I, I think that Darian Thompson, when he played a couple weeks ago against Miami, he did a better job. Jeff Heath gave up that big play as well. That huge touchdown by Sam Darnold in that second quarter. Chidobi missed his assignment. Your job, though, if you're Jeff Heath, is to be there for help. You're the safety help. And the only, only big, you know, route or long route down the field that you have to cover is the one that you missed. You missed your one assignment. I don't care what people say about his, his aggression, his like leadership. This guy is too small to play that position. He's not big enough to tackle. He's being like ragdolled around if you're blocking him. He's a mismatch for any guy and not in a good way. And he he doesn't he doesn't make plays. Look at all the great safeties around the NFL. Eric Berry, Earl Thomas, Kenny Vaccaro. All of those guys cause turnovers because they read the offense. They know where to go. They read the assignments and they continue to look at the quarterback with their eyes. Jeff Heath is so inconsistent at that that at that point, I'd rather have Xavier Woods. I would rather have Darian Thompson. So I've never liked Jeff Heath, uh, Jeff Heath at that position. And yesterday only proved that even more. Moving toward the front part of that defense, it's even more disappointing. That starting front seven from what it was last year to this year, there's no hot boys right now. The hot boys, you know, movement, the hot boys like swagger is not there at all. Jalen Smith, who is the most talented linebacker for the Cowboys, only had three total tackles in yesterday's game. The linebacker core in general isn't the same from what it was last year. Lane Vanderus has stepped down a little bit. He's still a very smart guy and I still love him, yet He's missed tackles over the last couple weeks, probably because he's tired. Cause he has a lot on his plate. Sean Lee, I saw a lot of plays yesterday where he's just, he's not as fast anymore. He's not as smart as, as he was. Like the mental aspect is there, but his, his body's just not allowing him to do that. He's not healthy enough anymore. 
Tony Romo talked about it. Like he still loves Sean Lee because he he played with him for so many years. And some of those tackles that Sean Lee made, I just thought you gave up an extra two or three yards there because you just couldn't get there in time. You're not fast enough anymore. And when we look at that defensive line, which has been the worst part of this defense, other than Robert Quinn, the line has been below average at best at rushing the quarterback and causing disruption. Antoine Woods and Tyron Crawford, they've been injured for most of this season. Can't blame them there. Can't stay healthy, though. So it's really up to like Tristan Hill, Malik Collins, and Dorrance Armstrong, who also got hurt in the game last uh, last night. So injuries have plagued them. But even when they were healthy, they, they were so frustrated because they couldn't get to the quarterback. And most importantly, Demarcus Lawrence only has two and a half sacks through six games. If you're Jerry Jones, if you're Steven Jones, even if you are Demarcus Lawrence, who is who verbally come out and said, even through injuries, even through some of the difficulties that I've had this season, I still got to make plays. I still have to perform at a high level. I got to earn this contract. He's the one talking all, all this talk about, you know, sacking these quarterbacks, about getting to the quarterback, not allowing them, not allowing them to breathe. Yet, He's been the worst defensive lineman to me so far. Robert Quinn has taken over. Robert Quinn alone has more sacks than this whole uh, this whole defensive line. And he didn't even play two games. Demarcus Lawrence? Uh, look, I, like when you look at a guy like J.J. Watt, for example. J.J. Watt doesn't get all the sacks in the world. He's more of a disruption guy that doesn't come out on the stat sheet. But he is always a, a menacing edge rusher that will get a double team, which allows other guys to blitz, other guys to get to the quarterback. It works. On the Cowboys, though, I'm not seeing that at Demarcus Lawrence. He's getting one-on-one matchups. He's getting the matchup he wants, yet he's not executing at all. He's not rushing the quarterback. He's missing sacks. He's missing tackles. So... No matter who you look at from the Cowboys perspective, from an outside perspective, even like all the analysts and experts, they will agree. And I will agree myself that he has been disappointing all year long. We expect a lot more of Demarcus Lawrence. When a guy is trying to get a contract, trying to prove himself, he plays a whole different type of football, especially a defensive lineman like Demarcus Lawrence. And he deserved that contract. He played and played his heart out. For the franchise here and to get that contract, he deserved it damn well. Yet there's there's a whole different type of player right now at that edge rusher that is unlike what we've seen from years past. Demarcus Lawrence is just not being himself. I don't know if that's because he's earned the contract so it's just not there for him. The injuries, they might be a problem. I just... I expect more out of him. I really do. The injuries themselves, like onto that defensive line and on the offense, they've plagued this team. It's always the Cowboys. I've I've seen it time and time again that the Cowboys get that injury bug no matter what part of the season it is. That no matter what type of injury, whether it's short or long term, they just fall apart. Especially if it's like Tyron Smith. It showed with Tyron Smith yesterday. It showed with Lyle Collins yesterday. And the loss of Antoine Woods and Tyron Crawford for 
like two or three weeks. I hope they come back healthy and they improve at rushing the quarterback. When they were gone, they weren't rushing the quarterback. And in the game yesterday, they didn't do a good job either. So what's to say about these injuries? Whether it's it's actually the guys themselves or they're just not 100%. It's really early in the season, though. So the injuries are bad, too. And lastly, for bad, is the use of Tony Pollard. The amount of hype that Pollard had coming into this season with Zeke holding out in Cabo and saying, like, what if we have to move on from Zeke and we find ourselves a new running back? Tony Pollard was that answer. Or, or Pollard, sorry. Pollard, a guy out of Memphis, rookie, played great in the preseason. And in some games, in, in the season itself, I, I thought that they should have used him even more. He only had three carries yesterday against the Jets. If I'm Kellen Moore, if I'm Jason Garrett, I'm looking at it at the perspective of what Sean Payne and the Saints did last year with Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, is that you have two different dynamics at, at running back, yet you use them both at the same time effectively to where the defense was just, just off balance, was always second-guessing themselves at what are, we, what are the offense going to run? Because you don't know if they're just going to run a simple Zeke run or they're going to send Zeke out for a pass. They're going to use Paul, uh, Pollard for a run, for a pass, because he can be dynamic in that sense too. I don't, I'm don't. i not seeing that though. Yes, I, I keep going back to a bland offense. That's what the Cowboys are doing. Yet you have so many weapons and, and skilled players that even if you ran some unorthodox and creative plays with both of those guys on the field at the same time you replace one of the receivers with him you got yourself a, a weird type of a film session for these defenses that they got to break that down because they've never seen anything like it out of dallas yet we're wasting him pollard has not been used at all in these last couple of weeks especially in the three losses he was nowhere to be seen in the Saints game, was nowhere to be seen in, the, in the, the Packers game. And guess what? The trend continues here. Speaking of trends, this is where we get into the ugly. The ugly people. First one, and I don't think this is talked about enough, the special teams unit. Yeah, yeah of course, I'm going to talk about Brett Maher. First, though, I want to talk about the kickoff team, the, the punting team. Time and time again, this has been a, a consistent for the Cowboys and not a good one. Every single year, I say, why don't we do more on special teams? Why does it seem that every team around the league that has found so much success going far into the playoffs, that goes into the, the Super Bowl, that they have some type of, of nice little flavor on, on special teams? They have that kick returner that or that punt returner that's just so fast and agile. Like just small little things like gaining that extra 10 or 15 yards to, to relieve the offense in field possession or of that wherever they, they are placed on the field. That, that special team should add that extra just comfort. Yet, we have guys like Tavon Austin, Randall Cobb. We had guys in the past like Ryan Switzer who was supposed to be the savior of the special teams and they never used them. 
Kick returns are non-existent because they always fair catch it or they always let them go above their heads. Punt returns either end in a five-yard gain at best or a penalty that only drives them back even more. So what's the point? What is the point of having a special teams if it's not there at all? If you're only going to add more penalties to your count, if you're only going to do nothing as far as giving your offense a better position on the field, why even put them out there? Just let just let the punters for the opposing team punt it to like the five-yard line because you always find yourself in that position no matter what. The penalties just get half the distance to the goal, 10 yards back, or you fair catch it at the 10 or the 5. It's stupid. What, do you even think about the special teams unit? If you're Jason Garrett or if you're Jerry Jones, you've done nothing to improve that aspect of your team. That is one-third of your whole team. One-third of your whole organization. When you look at every other team that's successful in the NFL, I mean, like the Patriots, the the, the Rams in years past, I, I mean, like, remember, like, Chicago Bears' Devin Hester? Remember the Super Bowl? Imagine having that at least once a game. A big punt return, either to get a touchdown or great field possession for your offense. You're already in opposing team's field position. You're already in their territory. Imagine having that. You've never seen it in Dallas. And no one's ever talked about it. Yet, I constantly think about that. I say, why is Tavon Austin out there if he's just going to fair catch it? Remember the remember the years with Cole Beasley? Where either he would fair catch it and nothing would happen. Or it's a holding call on the Cowboys. Or he would bobble it and it would be a fumble. That's how bad the special teams are. And since we're talking about bad special teams, let's talk about Brent Maher some more, people. How about that? Yeah. The guy can kick a 62-yarder to end the half, and he can make it easily. But when it matters the most, in a die situation, like live-or-die situation, where you're only kicking a 40-yard field goal to give your guys a chance, to give your team a chance to at least still be in the game, you you wide-ride it. You doink it. How, how can you be that bad at your job? Your one job is to be the consistent to be the guy that keeps this team in this game. You have to be consistent as a kicker. You cannot make a 62 yarder and then miss a 32 yarder. That makes no sense to me. And week after week, Brett Maher is missing those easy chip shots that are basically extra points. Yet when, when there's no pressure on him to score, he makes it when there is pressure on him, he misses every single time. You see the fear in his eyes. I miss you, Dan Bailey. I really do. Dan Bailey, I even in those last like years, like year or two, where you were missing a couple because the injuries were just stacking up. I still miss you though. Let's let's drop some for the homie. Dan Bailey, doing great things in Minnesota. We, we miss you, buddy. Rest, rest in peace. Rest in peace. So Brett Maher doesn't deserve a job, doesn't deserve a contract. I honestly would rather have a, sh a shitty kicker for the rest of the season than, ra than rather have Brett Maher. I'd rather go for it on a fourth down every single time, even if it's a fourth and ten. I'd rather go for it than having Brett Maher decide my fate as a Cowboys fan. Ridiculous. Terrible. So, other things that happen with this team, the lack of sacks, which I've talked about, the lack of turnovers, which I've talked about, 
Rod Marinelli has been there long enough. And everyone praises Rod Marinelli for what type of defense he brings to the table. I hate this defense. I hate the game plans that they bring to the table. They don't blitz enough. They don't trust their corners. They don't trust their secondary to blitz. So even though they play man-to-man, -man, they only rely on four rushers or three rushers to get to the quarterback when really you can use Jalen Smith and Lane Vanderis to your fullest ability to rush them, to blitz the quarterback, and to only put more discomfort, which really has been one of the most successful things for the Cowboys defense in past years, that they just don't do. They, don't, they choose not to do it. So not only are you getting a lack of pressure and a lack of sacks, that only leads to lack of turnovers. Because Jeff Heath is not a playmaker. Byron Jones has not been a playmaker. So what do you have to do to compromise for that? You have to get to the quarterback. You have to force a fumble when you get an edge rush by Robert Quinn. Or you got to blitz it to where he has to throw a ball that is up for grabs. Like you, like you did against the Saints where Teddy Bridgewater had to roll out, make a quick decision. And he failed at doing that. So that's how Jadobi Wuji got the interception. Same thing in the interception for this game. You rushed the quarterback, got pressure on him. Sam Darnold had to make a quick decision. And Jordan Lewis stared at the quarterback with his eyes and made a play. That's all you got to do. You have the talent to do it. You have the ability to do it. Yet you choose not to if you're Rod Marinelli. I want more aggression. The Eagles are a perfect example of that. Jim Schwartz is one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL. Why? Because he rushes for 48 to 46% of the time. He blitzes that amount. The highest in the NFL. Guess what? It works. It helped them to a Super Bowl. It helped them to be successful over the last couple years and be one of the most devastating defenses in all the NFL. Their secondary is awful. Yet how do they make up for it? They make up for it by blitzing the quarterback. That's all I got to say. Rod Marinelli, you're out of here. Fire him too. And finally, we're going to talk about the coaching staff in general, especially on the offensive side. I tweeted out that who wants to start the hashtag fire Jason Garrett trend? I know I do, and that blew up. Guess what? It's time, people. It's the hashtag fire Jason Garrett portion of the show. Oh, yes. I love this. All right. So if you haven't seen the video of Jason Garrett trying to high five his guys after being down, what, 10 points in like, er, like early fourth quarter, mid fourth quarter, where they get off the field to get some points, but none of their guys are like high fiving him back and he's just left hanging. That is sad to watch. Not only did they give up on him there, they gave on they gave up on him a long time ago. For the Cowboys to go on the road, which they don't like to do, especially this year, they a huge you know travel um, time from Dallas to New York, coming off a loss where they were down for most of the game and they had to rush back, and there was no motivation there all week long. All week long, Jason Garrett's job was to motivate these guys, get them back on track, and make them realize we got to wake the fuck up. We are sleeping. 
we are boring to watch. We need to go out to this game, first drive, first defensive drive, and just make a statement. Give them a reason to to wish they weren't there. Give them a reason why they're going to lose this football game today, early on. What do you do? These guys come out on a three and out, don't look good. The defense gives up a long drive, and they look tired already. They look like they don't care. They're missing tackles. They're undisciplined because they're getting so many penalties. The Cowboys had nine, ten penalties in this game, which is a another week of nine to ten or if if not more penalties in a game, what does that prove? That those guys are undisciplined. They're not motivated to, to be focused, to not make those small mistakes. They're going to play perfect football. They're going to try to play perfect football. Jason Garrett's job was to do that all week long. That is That has been his job. I've always thought he's a babysitter. This was his time to say, it's a contract year. I got to really prove myself here. We came out hot, 3-0. Where, where are we going to be after losing two games, going into an easy game? Easy, I say that in air quotes because it was supposed to be an easy game for you. The Eagles beat them 31-6 the week prior. There was nothing to show for this Jets team. They, they, they have no reason to win football games right now. Yet, all you had to do was prove that and you keep your job. As long as you came back, win this game, win the Eagles game, win the division, you're fine. From adversity, from all the adversity that you had to face from the Saints game and the Packers game, all you had to do was motivate these guys to say, stop what you're doing, and we're going we're gonna to revamp this game. We're going to go 180. What do they do? They, they look flat on offense. They're giving up so many penalties. They're giving up big plays which is unlike the Cowboys. And at the end, you really had to dig yourself out of a hole again. Your offense looked terrible. And and Tony Romo said it. This was the, uh, a sentence that really stood out to me. And I hated that he said this because he's so right. Tony Romo said, there's a lot of footprints of Jason Garrett in this offense. Oh, oh, time to panic, people. Time to panic. It's time to panic. Enemy AC 130 above! Yes, that's exactly, that's like, that's for me, that's like panic mode. So, all the footprints that are in this offense are the same exact footprints that were in the Saints game, where you ran basic plays, you didn't run any creative plays. Vanilla offense, you tried to establish a run, it didn't work, but you kept doing it. And bad play calling down the stretch. Hmm. It's like this has been a problem for so many years, yet they don't fix it. Well, wait, Bubba, they they did fix it because they put Kellen Moore as their offensive coordinator instead of Scott Linehan. Well, hmm, hmm, can I get a hmm? Because let's think about it. When Dak Prescott and Zeke were together in 2017 and Zeke was suspended, even last year when they were having trouble moving the ball, who was the play caller? Scott Linehan. And what did he like to run a lot of? Well, he liked to run simple... Design runs up the middle with Zeke that only gained two or three yards. Uh, you know, we use the receivers scarcely. Uh, we use Jason Wynn like a, a, a three-yard out route 
and then get the first down maybe. Curl routes, you know, something simple like that. And we wouldn't do motion or anything. We would just like line up and then see what happens. Um, we eventually thought that it would work, but it never did. Hmm. It sounds like the same exact offense that Scott Linehan ran for so many years. Kellen Moore ran his offense last week against the Packers, which, which they scored 30 points in. Yet this week, they only scored 22, but that was a lot of them were late in the game. And it was no huddle, and it wasn't based on what Jason Garrett was doing. Hmm, what's been the one consistent throughout that offense? It's Jason Garrett. Well, would you look at that, people? We just solved the problem. Jason Garrett's been the one consistent of this offense. And if you're saying that the footprints of this offense are still Jason Garrett, and they're struggling, can you can you put two and two together, Jerry? Jerry, could, could I get uh, why Jason Garrett should be fired for a 1,000, Alex? Please, because let's look at Jason Garrett's overall record and we'll break it down per season. In 2010, when he took over in week 10 as the interim head coach, he went on to coach eight games and was five and three, a little bit above average. Okay, so now that you have the team and this is your team, this is your offense and you're the offensive coordinator uh, or successor to the, the coach and you were the offensive coordinator before. So it's your offense. Next year, with Romo, with all your weapons, 8-8. Eight and eight. All right. You know, still new as a head coach. We'll let him slide. Next year, 2012, 8-8. Eight and eight. Okay. Um, I think things still have to change here because Romo's getting past his prime a little bit. Um, and he's getting injured a lot. So let's see what happens. So 2013, you say, hey, let's do it. This is the year. You're three years in already. Eight and eight. Oh, so average. Okay. So then what happens in 2014 where Jason Garrett's kind of in the hot seat? When Jason Garrett's like, his 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 job's kind of on the line here if they don't improve. 12 and four. Well, there you go. You got yourself a great head coach. What you forget to mention is that that team had prime Tony Romo, had prime Des Bryant, Jason Wynn, DeMarco Murray, and they made it that far. They should have made it farther if it was Des, Des caught it against the Packers. Yet, it had nothing to do with your coaching because the defense was awful. It was, you had so much time of possession on offense that the defense never had to be on the field. So they, they just came out fresh every single time. And they controlled time of possession. They won football games like that, and they outscored the opponents. Well, that was your offense. You... You had an offensive line that was undestructible. And you had a great running back in DeMarco Murray that was unstoppable. And you had Romo, which was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL at that time. That has nothing to do with the coaching. That was pure talent. So you say, all right. All right. So a year where Romo gets hurt. Now it's time for coaching to step up and say, hey, we still got a lot of our key pieces. We still got Dez, who is injured, but he'll come back. We, we still got some good parts to this offense. 2015, you go 4-12. and 12. All right, Romo's hurt. Uh, we'll see what happens next year. Romo gets hurt again. Who comes in? Dak and Zeke. And that year as well, that's when you started to develop that defense. Again, talent carried this team to a 13-3 and season. It had nothing to do with the defense. Uh, it had nothing to do with the offense or the coaching. All you did was plug in new guys that nobody had film on and said, 
go run the same exact type of scheme that we ran with Romo and DeMarco Murray, and we'll be successful. Because no one's going to stop our offensive line. No one's going to stop you guys because no one knows what you can do. And rightfully so, they did that. So now that guy, you know, now that guys or, or coaches, teams have film on you, what's next? 2017, you went 9-7. and seven. Average. 2018, you went 10-6. and six. Yet, the reason why you lost is because you got outcoached by Sean McVay. And your, your whole game plan was outcoached. It was predictable. That's why you got rid of Scott Linehan, was you were predictable. You've been predictable for, for 10 years almost. You've been predictable since 2010. So why are you 3-3? Three and three? Why are you just average? And why is Jason Garrett, uh, why is his record uh, 563? Just above 500? Gee, I wonder. I wonder, guys. I wonder why an average coach is coaching an average team, which is talented to make to a Super Bowl, yet they're not reaching their full potential. And they're don't, they don't look motivated. They don't look disciplined. Well, I'm just going to end it there, huh? All I'm going to say now is every time we do a preview or a review, uh, review for the Cowboys, we're going to have ourselves a Jason Garrett or a hashtag fire Jason Garrett segment. That's, uh, you got to get rid of Jason Garrett, man. And I've seen it. Where's, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Because I read the stat. I read the stat. And thank you to Rooster for giving this to me. This is from Bobby Belt, at Bobby Belt, Texas, on Twitter. Verbatim, NFL teams are 90 and 1 since 1991 when they win time of possession, total yards, turnovers, they pick up 25 first downs, and they convert at least 10 or more third down attempts. They're 90 and 1 when they, they do that. 90 and 1. Who is that one team that did not win? It was the Dallas Cowboys against the Jets yesterday. That proves my point, people, is that the talent on this team deserves so much more. We are wasting Dak Prescott. We are wasting Zeke. We are wasting so many of these guys that are going to be free agents at the end of the year. Wasting them. This was the year that they made the Super Bowl, that at least made it. To the Super Bowl. Because they are so damn talented. This is a stacked football team. Even through the injuries. I say their depth is good enough to get them. Long into the playoffs. What is holding them back? How are you How are you that one exception. From dominating. In those aspects of the game. Time of possession. Total yards. Turnovers. Which they usually don't do. Turnovers they never win in those battles. But they did yesterday. They converted third downs, which they didn't do last week or the week before. The offense got it together. The defense got it together. It was too late. Because even before you entered that game, you lost. You didn't set yourself up for success. Because you put those 53 guys on that roster in a tough spot and say, we're not motivated to play. And that has nothing to do with them. That has everything to do with the coaching staff. Along with that, if you're Jerry Jones... What are you thinking, giving this guy 10 years of your life, of your organization, and say average is good enough? What has Jason Garrett given to you, other than kiss your ass, 
to say he is a competent coach that will get us to a Super Bowl. This this team, these 53 guys on the roster will get you to a Super Bowl. What they need, though, is that one guy at head coach motivating them, giving them a reason to push harder, giving them a reason to focus on practices, to get better every single day in practice, to win those games on Sunday. Right now, Jason Garrett's a babysitter. That's average. When you were, when you were a baby, when you were a kid, didn't you just love to go to someone's house like a babysitter that just, you know, fed you, you know, some snacks here and there that played with you a lot. That was just so fun. Did you just love that babysitter? And then you just hated the one that was like, she was just there to like earn a paycheck. She, she was just on her phone the entire time. She like didn't care. She would just let you do whatever. That's what Jason Garrett is. He's that babysitter that has just earned, earned, earning the paycheck. Jerry Jones is just earning a paycheck. He does not care about winning. If he cared about winning, Chris Richard would be the, the coach right now. Someone, like any other coach around the league, would be a head coach for the Cowboys. And we would not be 3-3 three and three right now. Uh, at worst, you should be 4-2. and two. Yes, I can understand the Saints game because they, they exploited you and what you run as far as your game plan. The Packers game, they're a great football team. You put yourself down too much, and you lost that game even though you tried to come back. I get those two games. You can come back at the later point of the year and say, we will go back into the playoffs, and we will redeem our losses. It's the game against the Miami Dolphins. It's the team. It's the game against the Washington Redskins, and it's specifically this game against the New York Jets, where you're supposed to win by a lot, you're the heavy favorites. You are more talented than this team. Yet you get outcoached in every aspect of the field. And even before you put the guys on the field, you lost. Because all you are is a babysitter. So it's time. I, I've been off the Jason Garrett bandwagon for years now. Ever since 2014, I've said Jason Garrett is holding us back. And all the tweets that I'm reading saying it is too early to tell if Jason Garrett's on the hot seat. He shouldn't be on the hot seat. Ed Warner said that he spoke to a source deep into the Cowboys organization. And they said, absolutely not. Jason Garrett's not on the hot seat. What is it going to take? What will it take for this guy to finally get out of Dallas? Because if they make the playoffs, if they somehow find a way to win this division, they will not win the Eagles game on Sunday. Definitely not. Not with this team. Not with this coaching. If they somehow find a way to win this division, Jason Garrett's getting an extension. And it's only five, six more years of this. And I am tired of it. I've been tired of it for five years. We don't need a babysitter. We need a head coach. We need a guy like Chris Richard. Not, not Chris Richard specifically, but an attitude and a personality like Chris Richard. Who motivates these guys. And when they don't do their job, you will get punished for it very quickly. Your job's not safe if you're not doing your job. It is the same exact thing you find in New England, the same exact thing you find in Kansas City. All these great, great teams that have been successful for the past two decades. It is not about a babysitter at head coach. It is an offensive mind, a guru, or a guy that is going to punish you if you don't do the job. Tom Coughlin did not find success for being a babysitter. He's, he's, he basically said, if you don't do your job, you're out of this team. Andy Reid, he ran his style. And his style was, 
We're going to run something completely different from everyone else. We're not going to copycat anyone. They're going to copycat us. We're going to set the standard for everyone. Guess what? Chiefs are well on their way to an AFC Championship game against the Patriots, even though with the two losses, they're still the favorites alongside the Patriots. And Bill Belichick, you're not special. I, I don't care if you're the best receiver, best quarterback in the league. You are not special to me. You do your job and you do it damn well or I'm going to get rid of you because I'm going to put you in a situation where you find success. Jason Garrett's not doing that. So fire Jason Garrett. Fire Rod Marinelli. These, these big, big influences on what was unsuccessful in the past decade is still there. And Jerry Jones is blinded by it. Is blinded by the fact that those 13-3, and 12-4 and 4 seasons are not based on the talent that we had on the field. It was based on Jason Garrett leading that team. Even though he had nothing to do with it. It is time to move on, people. It is time for... I'd rather go 8-8 eight and eight for the rest of the year and not make the playoffs with an interim head coach that we just randomly put in there to see than go 8-8 eight and eight with a Jason Garrett again. Because that's where it's going. I expected this team to go 10-6 and six, uh, this season and make the playoffs. But that's two games difference. That is two games difference between 8-8 eight and 10-6. Eight and and that's easily attainable if you're Jason Garrett. That's going to do it for episode 74 of the Bubble Let Sports Podcast, everyone. It's, it was a long one. I just need to get everything off my chest. But thank you for listening to this episode. Um, before I forget, uh, please support the podcast. You can subscribe for a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars a month on anchor.fm slash bubble Lutz. Um, I appreciate all the love that we had 17 listens last week, which is great. I uh, hope we can continue that. We'll come back later this week, talk about winners and losers of week six. And yeah, that'll do it. Thank you for listening and I hope you have a great one.